Right. Um, some of the slides might be a bit odd because I did it in Google Docs and then it didn't translate properly through to whatever, um, what's the other one? PowerPoint. So some of them might be a bit squidgy. Um, I was actually going to call this preach Fifty Shades of Grey. I've never read the book and I have not seen the film. But I thought that would be very unfortunate <laughs> if somebody's Googling a search or whatever. And yeah, but it could be a good witness because they'd land up at our amazing website. Um, but yes, light and darkness. I always seem to get um, the preaching slots directly after major political upheavals. <laughs> Um, the Brexit vote, etc. Um, I don't know if Nigel or Sam do this deliberately, um, but prophetically, we are really in a, a place right now um, where the church needs to pray. Yeah, the church needs to pray. Um, there's a lot of stuff being talked about, but we need to pray. We need to pray for balance. We need to pray, which I firmly believe, for a new model of government. <laughs> but I really think we need to pray as a church, and I'm going, I really want you to do that, because at the moment we're seeing a lot of light and a lot of darkness, um, and we're navigating a period of history that I think, wow, we're living through it, this is awesome. But we need to pray. And I would really urge the church and individuals, please pray for our government, whoever it's going to be or whatever, yeah? But really pray. So there we go. So light and darkness, 50 shades of gray. Um, and what I've done is just brought up the actual verses. So let's just have a look at it. This is the first. There, in terms of light and darkness... There are two sections within 1 John that highlight this light and darkness, this, um, the oppos opposite sides of things. So this is the first section. Verses, it's in chapter 1, verses 5 to 10. This is the message which we have heard from him and declared to you, that God is light and in him is no darkness at all. If we say that we have fellowship with him and walk in darkness, we lie and do not practice the truth. But if we walk in the light as he is in the light, we have fellowship with one another. And the blood of Jesus Christ, his son, cleanses us from all sin. If we say that we have no sin, we deceive ourselves. And the truth is not in us. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. If we say that we have not sinned, we make him, God, a liar. And his word is not with us. And what I believe John is, is saying here is that God is light by nature, in his essential being. Light refers to God's moral character, and there is no darkness in that character at all. God is holy, and he is untouched by...
by any evil or sin. We go on to the next section, which is in chapter 2, verses 7 to 11. Brethren, I write no new commandment to you, but an old commandment which you have had from the beginning. The old commandment is the word which you heard from the beginning. Again, a new commandment I write to you, which thing is true in him and in you, because the darkness is passing away and the true light is already shining. He who, say, he who says he is in the light and hates his brother is in darkness until now. He who loves his brother abides in the light, and there is no cause for stumbling in him. But he who hates his brother is in darkness and walks in darkness and does not know where he is going because the darkness has blinded his eyes. I don't know about you, but I found these two sections quite harsh, actually. Um, Quite harsh and really flags up some reality. Just a bit of teaching into the background of this. John here, we know, is writing to a group of Christians, new believers in Christ Jesus. It doesn't give us any clue as to who he, to whom he is writing, and it doesn't really tell us where these believers lived or who they were, which church they belonged to. But what we can see in these sections, and in fact, right the way through the letter, is there is both an encouragement and pastoral words, but also there was some fancy word that I had to go and look up because it was a polemic. Um, But basically, he also challenges or lays out an argument against false teaching. So this letter is very specific. It's not actually quite touchy-feeling as we perhaps think it is. What he's doing is like we have seen with our politicians recently, laying out an argument, saying this is truth. Now we know we are living in a society of false truths, (laughs) made-up truths, truths based on people's opinions, Um, And it can get very confusing. I have sat during this sort of electioneering stuff, and I've had David, my son, sitting next to me, and as people say things, he goes on to Google and checks it. And I'm like, what on earth? (laughs) You know, how have we got to this point where we cannot believe a word people are saying? And you see, in this sort of thing... John is actually laying out an argument. And why is he doing this? Whoever he's writing to are facing a major threat within their community of believers. And that threat is serious. And it appears to have risen up within the church itself. So people on taking new ideas and coming out with God says this and God says that. Um, and it, you almost get a sense that this community could be split by the false teaching. The false teaching. 
And some of those false teachings around that time, one was Gnosticism, which is a mix, actually very much like New Age stuff today, just by the way. So a mix of Eastern ideas that included that Jesus did not have a physical body. There were some others here which have cut off, and I'm quite pleased because I couldn't pronounce them. Serenthianism, um, that Christ was just a man, and that somehow from his baptism to just before the crucifixion, he was possessed by someone else called the Christ. Okay, So some really strange ideas going on. And what John is saying here is, hold on folks, I was there. I was there. I sat at his feet. I walked with him. I talked with him. I saw the walking on the water. I saw people being raised from the dead, the sick being healed. I saw him crucified. I saw him resurrected. And I saw him ascend into heaven. Yeah? So what we have is this whole lot of theology yeah, that's going on within the new church. And John is saying, I witnessed it. Who are you going to believe? The person who was there? Or are you going to believe those who are now doing stuff? <laughs> And thinking, well, maybe it was this or maybe it was that. Maybe they were trying to explain it in human terms. And John is saying, no, folks, I was there when they crucified Christ Jesus. I know that he is the Son of God because I spent three years with him. Yeah? And this is what John is saying in this entire letter. He is challenging false doctrine. And we see so much of it today. Yeah? So much of it today. Really weird things coming out. And people saying, well, God said this or God said that. And you think, oh, yeah. So how do we counteract this? And in the dialogue in these verses, we see some very straightforward Practical, and in Sam's brief to the preachers, he said it's got to be practical. Yeah, so I'm being practical. <laughs> Abide in him, the light, so that we can walk as Jesus walked, daily practice, or our way of life, that we walk in the light. We abide in him, the light, so that we can love our brothers and sisters, so to fellowship and worship in unity. We abide in him, the light, so that we can start to trust the witness of the Holy Spirit within us. Um, again, Ruth and, and Rosemary were sharing yesterday they had been praying for somebody and Ruth in her spirit just felt mm, something's not quite right here as she was praying for this, this person. 
That is the witness of the Holy Spirit. Yeah, going, mm -mm, taps you on the shoulder. And they went with it, witnessed about Jesus, spoke about Jesus to that person because there was some doctrinal stuff going on there. But that is the, the whispering of the Holy Spirit, the witness of the Holy Spirit. But we can only attune ourselves to that if we are in the light and if we are living in the light. If we abide in him, the light, the Holy Spirit bears witness in our spirits that helps us understand that Christ Jesus is both human and God. Yeah. Now, if you're going to sort of move into the very sort of heavy deliverance type ministries, if you're going into areas where there's intense witchcraft, one of the questions that will be asked when somebody is manifesting is, who do you say Christ Jesus is? Yeah? And you will find a variety of answers, but when that person witnesses that Christ is the Son of God, that he has lived, died, risen again, you know you're on the right track. If that person says something different, you know you're dealing with an unclean spirit. Yeah? Because unclean spirits don't witness to the living Christ. That's heavy duty stuff. When we abide in the light, And John is recommending this as an instruction. Think about when you first believed. Think about when you first heard the message of Christ Jesus. And don't deviate from it. That's what he's saying. That's what he says in this letter. It's about abiding in the light. The light is God. In the very beginning, what do we see? The light separates from the darkness of creation. Yeah? And really what's been on my heart as I've prepared and as we were out yesterday is very much about the character and the nature of God. And that came through so strongly in the worship. How do we, in the modern day church, how do we navigate false doctrine? How do we navigate stuff in the world that we live? We are bombarded with information. How do we navigate that as believers? We've had a, a good series on Christ Jesus and looking at where he walked, where he went, we really got a sense of his nature and his character. And I think for many of us, in our mind's eye, we can almost visualize Christ Jesus, yeah? We, we can think about him fishing on the Sea of Galilee. We can think about him up a mountain. We can think about him on the cross. We see him from being a baby to his crucifixion. But when we come to God, what do we think? How do we, how, how can our minds grasp 
an entity, a person, who is three in one, and who at the very beginning of time was there before that time began, and who brought everything into existence, how do we grasp that as believers in Christ Jesus? How well do we know the character of God, the nature of God, in a world that has so much incredibly bad press about God? Are you with me here? It's gone very quiet. Yeah? I'm going to get back to the practical stuff in a minute and be, be sort of funny, hopefully. So, you might think, where on earth is she going now? I've actually been on this journey the last few months. Do you know I'm unemployed? Yeah? I've lost a stone and a half, which is brilliant. Be- thank you, thank you. Because I haven't been working. It's wonderful. Um, the day that I had to go and sign my sort of exit contract, I was offered another job. In fact, I was offered three jobs. And I sat back and I just thought, you know what, God, you're really funny because I was bricking it over losing my job. <laughs> and this whole thing that I'd built up in my head, how great I was, and here I'd been kicked, and you know, here I was down, and I was losing my income, and how I was going to survive, and all those horrible things go through your head. And there somebody walks in and says, oh, we like you. And I said, well, actually, I'd like three months off. Can you, you know, they said, you know, we wait for you. We really want you. Oh, how affirming is that? Hey? And I said, you know, I'm really tired. I'm stressed. I'm ill. I'm not good. And, you know, I don't know how I'll cope with this job. No, it's fine. We want you. Yeah? And I don't know how I'm going to cope. <laughs> but, hey, um, that's tomorrow. Well, actually, it's this time in a month um, that I have to go back to work. Um, So I've been on this journey about the character of God. And I thought, you know what, I'm in my time off, my sabbatical. Oh, this is going to be fun. I'm going to go and do all that super spiritual stuff. I am going to go to prayer retreats. I booked my first one. I arrived. And I'm being all solemn and, you know, holy. And I, the, the, one of the worst things about being prophetic um, or having that sort of gifting is um, you often know what's going to happen. And I'm sitting now with the prayer counselor because they want to get you in the right frame of mind. And um, this is going to sound dreadful. But, and, I'm think, and I thought, okay, she's going to ask me this. Boop, she asked me that question. I thought, oh, yeah, okay, can ask me that one. Boop, she asked me that one. And I'm thinking, Father, you know, I'm going to start giggling soon because when I get stressed and sort of uncomfortable, I giggle and then I cry. And I thought, okay, what do I do first? Let's cry because that, you know, is sort of the routine. In... <laughs> Beautiful people. I, I don't, I'm not mocking. Beautiful people. But it's not me. To sit in silence for an hour, I thought, oh, heavens, Father, what am I going to do? So help me, help me, help me. And I said, mm, okay, Lord, help me. Make... Oh, I need to look holy. And then I said to them, she said, look, you know, go for a nice long walk, have fun. I, yeah, thank you. Have some tea. Yeah. I go for this long walk, walk all over these bushes and through swamps. And, and I'm praying in the spirit and I can feel the spirit of God. And as I come back round into the garden, I see this swing. And I just heard the Holy Spirit 
say, I want you to swing. And I said, you know what, Lord, I haven't, you know, I haven't swung for a long time. And that swing looks very small. Now, if my derriere will fit on said swing, and as I do that the first time, it doesn't collapse and the whole tree come down, the sort of ancient 200-year-old tree that Bev's about to wreck, then we shall swing in the spirit. And God said, go for it. I said, fine. Just walked up, eased myself in. Oh, I fitted. And you know, the spirit hit me. The Holy Spirit hit me like I have not been hit for a long, long time. And I soon found myself yelping and whooping as I swang. I mean, you could see the size of... And I think this poor retreat that I saw, oh, my word. <laughs> Let, let's call an ambulance. But you know what? I felt such a release in the spirit. And I felt God saying to me, my girl, I want you to live. I want you to have fun. I love you. Don't you understand it? I want you to fly high on that seat. Have you no idea that I'm holding you by my hand? Let go. Let go. And I just felt my spirit soar. And it was the most ungodly sight. <laughs> With my legs up in the air and there was no one else there. They were all praying in a, inside. <laughs> but why I'm showing you this, you know, it was incredible. Such an incredible moment. Knowing that this was my God. And he knew me so well. That he knew some of my innermost thoughts. You see, as a child, um, my, my, my parents were missionaries, grew up in deepest, darkest. Um, I was a fairly wild child. I was with cousins recently, and they said when we were brought over when I was two, and they had to force me to wear shoes because I kept taking my shoes off. And, um, you know, I, I just, yeah, I mean, you know, I was a bush kid. And... Um, when, we, when I was about five, my parents had moved to Durban, a city, and they were running an institution, and there was this wonderful woman called Auntie Clara, and um, her name's Clara Hamilton. She's an artist, well-known artist in South Africa, owns, I mean, she's very wealthy, and she was this, like, really imposing woman, um, had art studios, and um, on a Sunday afternoon, she used to have a Sunday school in her home. So my parents, in conjunction with Auntie Clara, thought it would be good to westernize me and get me sort of um, into shape by sending me for lunch at Auntie Clara's once a month. Now, Auntie Clara's home was massive. In fact, where she held it was Gandhi's um, house in Durban that she now owned. Um, and it was very imposing, very colonial. She had a butler. She had men servants. Um, we would sit at this long table. She had a bell. And we would sit there and it would all be prim and proper and the knives and forks were laid out and crystal, the whole, I mean the whole trip. And um, we'd sit there and you we weren't allowed to talk. And I'm five and I've got hee <laughs> And um, after lunch, they used to have a nap before Sunday school. But they used to allow me to go and sit in, in the front room of this imposing home. And in this room opposite the little couch that I had to sit on in my bows and ribbons and things, there was this painting on the wall of a woman on a swing 
And I used to sit there, and I think it's one of the earliest memories of the Holy Spirit speaking to me, saying, that's who you are. That's who I want you to be in the future. And I used to sit there, and I, could, I can still remember it, but I could hear the clocks ticking, and they tick, 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 tick. It used to be so quiet, no TV, internet. I'm old. Sitting there as a kid, and I used to be absolutely enchanted, engulfed with this picture of the woman on the swing. Can you see God's plan? He took me back to that very first moment of conscious recognition of the Holy Spirit speaking to me as a child. I was five. And I'd lost that. I'd bought into all sorts of other doctrines. I'd bought into all sorts of other stuff. I'd got too heavy. I'd got too wrapped up in theology because I'm not that type of person. Others are, and I respect them. It's not me. But God had brought me back. So who does this say God is? Yeah? Um... You see, we are being called to be the light of the world. You, me. And there's some scriptures. There are actually 18 specific verses where we are called to be the light of the world. Um, But I highlighted that bottom one. For it is the God who commanded light to shine out of the darkness, who has shone in our hearts to give the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. Isn't that amazing? That as we become believers in Christ Jesus, this light explodes within us. We don't have to work hard to be the light. God does that through Christ Jesus. That this light just poof inside of us when we become believers in Christ Jesus. And I just think that is awesome. So we are called to be the light. I've put here plugged in and switched off. Oh, hmm? uh, switched on. <laughs> hey. <laughs> I want to talk a little bit about darkness. Sometimes there are times when we are called into a dark place. Sometimes when the light of Christ doesn't seem to shine that brightly. Sometimes when that darkness engulfs us and there are times, bereavement, dramas, job losses. So we don't ignore the darkness. In the scripture it's talking specifically about darkness as in evil. But there are times when we are called to walk through a period of darkness in our lives. But you know what? We hold on to that light inside of us. So being plugged in and switched on, it's obvious. Yeah? If you unplug from the source, what happens? Please, somebody? Not going to shine, okay? You're not going to shine. 
When your battery's running low, what happens? Hmm? You lose contact, you lose connection. Things are sluggish. On my phone in particular, if my battery's getting low, everything, it grinds between switching applications. So we, being the light of the world, really need to understand the nature and character of God. We need to be asking the Holy Spirit to teach us about the light. The nature of God, I want to, um, when Alison was praying, she named some of the traditional Hebrew names of God, and I, I'd actually listed all of them. Um, Emmanuel, God with us. El Elyon, God most high, creator and possessor of heaven and earth. El Shaddai, God all-powerful and all-sufficient. Jehovah Jireh, the Lord who sees and who provides. Jehovah Rophi, the Lord who heals you. And it goes on. And really, I've, um, Naomi gave me a book a couple of years ago. I've got another one. I really would encourage you to look into the nature of God through some of those traditional words. But I want to read you something from Graham Cook. Another excellent book, by the way, called Prophetic Wisdom. And I just thought, I can't put this any better, so I'm going to read it. Because this is me. Goodness is God. He adores goodness and kindness. The Holy Spirit has a beautiful tendency to overwhelm us with good. Every thought, word, and deed emanates from goodness. Even when he has to discipline us, it's for our own good. (laughs) Goodness is the seed bag for miracles to grow our trust and faith. He overcomes evil with good. His goodness can overcome evil. Here we go. So when we realize the absolute significance of the goodness of God as a prerequisite for our ongoing encounter, then we will celebrate this wonderful virtue and revel in its place in our lives. He is constant. He is unchanging. He is unwavering. He is devoted, dependable, unswerving, staunch, immovable, truthful, true, and trustworthy. He will never leave us nor forsake us. He is our rock. We build our very lives on his faithful, dependent nature. He is the same yesterday, today, and forever. We are learning to rely on and develop confidence in what God is really like in himself. His faithfulness, this is Graham writing, has astonished me. And you know, I echo that. There are some days when I sit back and I think, Whoa, how did you do that? Why did you do that? The more I develop as a Christian, the more connected I become to his faithfulness, the more I become aware of his capacity to love me in all circumstances. The more I want to change. When I was wrong about something, or and this is I know this one, God is patient, kind, loving faithfulness that walks with me and works with me until I get it. Those same attributes continue with me until I become it. His gentleness has been gracing my life for a number of years. Mercy comes to us through God's gentleness. His nature is gentle, tranquil, serene, untroubled. He is a cool breeze on a hot day. He is thoughtful. His attention to detail is awesome. His interactions with us leave us joyful, 
humble and worshipful. Is this the God that we relate to? There have been times when I have railed against God, when I've put my fist up in the air. But you know, over these last few weeks, oh, I've just been learning about the faithfulness, the goodness. That attention to detail blows me away every time. Ruth said it yesterday. Awesome. Awesome. God's attention to detail. His perfect timing. Some other practical things. Asking the Father for clarity on things you hear and see. Ask. Ask. Ask him to shine a light on something that you are not certain about. He is light. Ask him, will you please shine a light, your light, into a situation, whether it be politics, whether it's about deciding which outfit you're going to wear. His attention to detail is amazing. Yeah? I was, I've been up to Stockport um, doing a lot of family research, doing the whole skeleton in the cupboard stuff, um, found said skeletons, um, actually in the Stockport graveyard, um, and it's it's. <laughs> but God has allowed me this time to search. I've been doing all sorts of um, stuff about it, but I, I arrived and so I arrived at the, the graveyard. And now this graveyard is going to sound a bit weird. It's not active, okay? Not that you have much action in a graveyard, um, but it's not active. It's been shut down but it's been taken over like National Trust heritage stuff. Um, it's called Willow Grove. And actually all the reallys are buried there. Um, quite interesting. Um, so I sort of got to the gate. Um, taxi driver dropped me off and I went through the gate and I said, okay, Lord, <laughs> where do I start? Yeah, I'm in a graveyard, dead people. No one's going to talk to me. Um, uh, yeah, this is true. You know, can you also just protect me? I'm very African. You know, if there's stuff you don't want me to step in, just bzz, pull me back. So I stood there and um, Lord said, look around, beautiful place. I said, it's awesome actually, Lord, I'd love to, you know, sort of end up here, fertilizer for the trees. Um, beautiful place. And I sort of walked down a road and suddenly a man um, was walking his dog, an elderly man. The dog came bounding, and I don't like dogs, by the way. I was bitten by some. Anyway, dog comes bounding up. And I go, oh, dog. And man rushes over and he says, oh, hello, lass, how are you? What are you doing? Who are you looking for? And I said, oh, looking for reallys. And this whole conversation, he said, well, who are you looking for? And I said, well, Wild Smith's Greens. He said, oh, yeah, they're there, there and there. And I was like, whoa. And he said, that sounds a bit weird, but actually um, I've been walking my dog here for 20 years. I've got to know where everyone is. And I said, well, yeah, it's useful. So we walked and we talked and we walked and we talked. I heard amazing stuff. This man was a mine of information. Um, and then he said, dashed off, dog at okay. He said, oh yeah, that really, Charles Wilshire, he's over there. And oh, you were looking for Alexander Green. He, I found him over there. And on and on. God, intervention. I'd arrived at the gate. I don't know what to do, Lord. Where do I start? How do I find Lord, can you shine a light? Can you send someone? Yeah? And this elderly man, 
I came away with an entire sort of 600-year history <laughs> of church, I mean, of family, um, and knowing where I came from and, and how I sort of fit into stuff. Attention to detail of God shining a light, shining a light into darkness, shining a light. He is awesome. He is light. There is no darkness in him, no evil in him. I use scripture to shine a light into situations. When I am, you know, in a, in a dark place or I'm, I'm dealing with a problem or I have to be creative about something, I go to scripture. Because Psalm um, 119 says, Your word is a lamp to my feet and a light to my path. Duh. Yeah? Why as Christians do we get so confused sometimes? Ask for the light. Open his word. Let him speak to you. He is light. He is goodness. The attention to detail is awesome. This abiding in his presence, being this plugged in, what happened to Moses when he spent time with God? What happened when he came back down? His face shone. He had to wear a veil. He glowed in the dark. People say, whoa, where have you been? Who have you been with? He'd been with God. What do we see with Jesus? When he was transfigured on the mount and John, our author, was there. What happened? He shone. He became radiant when he spent time in the light with God. But you see, we are called to be the light. We are called to be radiated and then to radiate. Yeah? As the darkness covers the earth, we are called to walk in those places and be the light. But we need to be plugged in. We need to be abiding. And abiding is not some super spiritual holy thing. It is just about knowing that he is with you, he loves you, he is faithful, he is your rock, no matter what. He knows you as the individual. And we are asked to actively go out there, help others, encourage others when they are in the dark. I've brought some of the prayer slips from yesterday. Every, at least once on a Saturday, my heart gets broken by a story. We had a mother yesterday who she has leukemia and her daughter has leukemia. We had a man yesterday whose child had just been rushed back into St. Ormond Street because a year ago the toddler had drunk Sprite, but actually in the Sprite bottle was paint thinners, paraffin, rushed back in. As me, I can't minister to that. But as the light, we can put our arms around that man, that woman, and say, we're with you. We're with you. And then he threw a wad of money at us, which we had to say, no, we don't take that. Sam said, we're silly, we should have, <laughs> for the building or something. But you know what I mean? Something so simple by just being there 
as inadequate and as useless as we may feel or be. Yesterday being there, we happen to be the light for people who are in a blackout darkness. We are so privileged to live in the light and to be bearers of that light. I've got the slips here and I really would like us to pray for these people. They're not our people. We pray on average for 30, 40 people over a year. It's a few thousand people. It's just about bringing that light. But we have to be there. We have to know the character of God. There are times when we are in darkness. What I'd like us to do is to stand. Um, I asked Dee for some guidance on Celtic prayers because I know the Celtic tradition uses Christ as the light in a lot of its imagery. We are called to be the light. We too can radiate like Moses, actually. It's doable. But can we just all stand? So to recap, God is light. He sent Christ Jesus to shine into a world of darkness. Nothing's changed. When we accept Christ Jesus as our Lord and Savior, that light bursts in us and we become part of that light as the family of Christ Jesus. We can access that light to shine a light on any situation we are in. We are called to be the light in the darkness. And I just think this prayer sums it up. And I'd like us to pray it together. Christ, as a light, illumine and guide me. Christ, as a shield, overshadow me. Christ, under me. Christ, over me. Christ, beside me, on my left and my right. This day be within and without me, lowly and meek yet all-powerful. Be in the heart of each to whom I speak, in the mouth of each who speaks to me. This day be within and without me, lowly and meek yet all-powerful. Christ as a light, Christ as a shield, Christ beside me, on my left and my right. Amen. Can I just ask, can we have one song? Can we just sing that first one, Holy, Holy? So we think about the holiness of God, who he is, his character, the light. He is the light. And we have access to that light. So I pray that as we worship now, as we close, that the light of Christ Jesus would shine on you. But as, as we worship now, that perhaps we see his holiness in a new way.
and we have that real revelation of who God is. Amen.